Hello, everyone. Welcome to Freedom Talks. Uh, this is Brady here with you today, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Josh Budman. He is the co-founder and chief technology officer of Tissue Analytics, a net health company. Josh is a biomedical engineer specializing in medical imaging and statistical data analysis. While at Hopkins, he worked with Nobel laureate Dr. Cal Greeter at the Johns Hopkins Medical Institute, where he used advanced statistical methods for data processing. Uh, Josh, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks, Brady. Great to be, great to be here. Happy to be here. Yeah. So uh, it's an uh, exciting episode, I think, uh, at least for me, because um, you know I'm very interested in the the data analysis things and um, all of the tech that's kind of going into healthcare. Um, so, Josh, I guess let's just start with uh, giving our listeners an idea of um, your background, what you were working on at Johns Hopkins, um, and kind of what l was the precursor to you starting Tissue Analytics. Sure, absolutely. So I was, like you said, a biomedical engineering student at Johns Hopkins. I did my undergrad there where we could kind of divert into different specialty tracks within biomedical engineering. So I focused in, like you said, medical imaging. Um, and, and some of the work I was doing with Dr. Greider was, was similar um, in that it was using statistical methods applied to some problem, either an image or in her case, it was, it was kind of um, molecular type uh, science. And so stu studies on the molecular, molecular level. Um, I did my master's degree in the same department the master's degree is called, it's specifically called the Center for Bioengineering Innovation and Design. And the point of that master's degree, it's actually based on the Stanford Biodesign Program, which, you know, I'm not sure if you may or may not have heard of Brady, but the, the thesis is basically you explore different clinical areas. So you, you take a pretty agnostic position at the beginning and you try to identify areas of clinical need within those clinical areas. So it could be surgery, it could be neurosurgery, general surgery, you know, cardiothoracic. Um, in this case, one of the areas that we explored uh, and, you know, myself and my co-founder explored with the other members of our team at that time was, was wound care. And we saw, you know, kind of how brutal some of these procedures were, how there could have been optimizations to some of the, the treatments that were being applied. Um, one thing we, we tried to do is improve how a type of procedure called debridement was delivered. So I'll explain to the listeners what, what that is. Uh, debridement is basically these, these wounds, the wounds I'm talking about are not the types of acute wounds that we think of, they're chronic wounds. So they're wounds that can last for months, sometimes years. They require dressing changes. Patients have to go home, back to the clinic weekly, maybe twice, twice monthly. Um, one of the procedures that takes place is this debridement procedure where a clinician will come in they will remove the dead tissue on top of the wound so that the wound can heal better. And so we were trying to initially provide optimizations to the way that that procedure was delivered, either through products or some other mechanism. That was the need we identified. And then as we were trying to evaluate the model in animals, we were doing, we were doing animal evaluations of the model. We found that there was really no way to quantify how our new innovations were working because wounds if we can you know as as humans we can all understand that wounds are organically shaped they're not rectangular they're not elliptical and so the best tool until today to measure those types of wounds was a ruler so if you think about a ruler trying to measure an organic shape um, pretty much pretty much impossible and so we went we dug into the literature we saw that our, our hypothesis was correct there's about a 44 percent error rate associated with measuring wounds with a ruler 
And since surface area of a wound is the main outcome that treatments are, or the evaluation of treatments are based on, how can clinicians actually know whether their treatments are working or not? We did more research into it. We realized no one was really doing it well. And after the year ended, we decided to turn this into a company. Uh, that was 2014. And so that's what we did for the next six years until our acquisition by NetHealth. Product still exists as a wholly owned subsidiary of NetHealth. And so that's where we are today. Yeah. And for our listeners, the, the connection kind of when, you know, you were, I was kind of put in your direction, um, in the physical and occupational therapy space, there's a certain subset, especially of occupational therapists, uh, that work a lot with wound care, um, especially in the upper limbs, hand specialists, things like that, uh, work with a lot of docs that, you know, very gnarly injuries, um, yes. that, you know, go on and, you know, they're obviously not looking at it from, from your space, but it is all connected because, you know, they're also kind of probably looking at that uh, analysis that you're able to provide, um, like you said, to give them an idea of is what they're doing working or, or is it not working? Do they have to change course of action? Things like that. Um, exactly. So that's why, you know, from uh, physical and occupational therapy perspective, it's, it's so interesting. Now, before we go on to kind of the, the tissue analytics and into the company, you kind of explained what it was and things like that. But um, I guess I'm really interested to know, like, going into college, you're pretty young. And, you know, I'm sure you were interested in, like, the STEM and the science and math and technology stuff. Like, was it the fact that you were in this program and that's your area of study and that's what kind of pushed you that way? Or was it like, I really want to be in like the, the wound care space. Cause that just seems fairly specific. Yeah. Um, great question. And so <laughs> I, the, I actually going into college, I was pre-med. Um, I, I wanted to study medicine. My parents were both engineers. I kind of figured, you know, with their encouragement, maybe a little more than encouragement they're they're pushing me that, uh, biomedical engineering would be a good combination of medicine plus engineering, which uh, I was, my assumption was probably a little wrong. Biomedical engineering is very much math, uh, <laughs> computing, and a lot less medicine. There's applications, of course, yes. but it's, it's, it's math. Yes. Um, and I started to fall in love with the subject matter of the field, for sure. I mean, I loved doing the advanced computing that was associated with my coursework. Um, I think I still didn't honestly make a decision on what I wanted to do full-time until after the first year of starting the company, I was able to defer from medical school. I had gotten into medical school. I was able to defer for one year. I think I, two, two things. So one, the scope of the problem, it was bounded enough and, and not well solved enough that it made it very compelling. It was a great application of what, you know, myself and my co-founder, Kevin Keenahan, who was the CEO of the company learned during our uh, studies. And um, quite frankly, just the feeling of developing a product, innovating a product that was being put in the hands of real professional end users and hopefully making their lives better and, and improving the, the field, again, hopefully, was very compelling to me. And so that was kind of the, the route I took. Um, wound care was kind of a, a by, you know, wound, yeah. the fact that it was applied to wound care was kind of a byproduct of all of those other points. Sure. But also like you talked about like potential impact that you could make 
getting this dispersed to a, a large sure. group of physicians um, across the U.S. and across the world obviously have, have major impact about on how uh, you know the, the essentially the, the practice goes um, and how they're able to to measure and um, evaluate, like you said. Absolutely, yeah. It's easy, like like you're saying, it's easier to scale. Uh, technology product than it is to scale yourself as a as a clinician in sense, right? I mean, you yep. get less of that personal connection, of course, but but I did like the fact that we could scale technology um, widely. So to me, I was still retaining some of my initial motivations for going into that field. Yeah, and so um, now now that we kind of have your background, um, let's get into a little bit about how the technology works as best as you can in layman's terms, right? Because um, on the website, right, there's a lot of, um, you know, words like AI and deep learning and yeah. machine learning. Um, and I guess to uh, even like, you know, PTs, OTs, the general uh, medical practitioner, that those aren't all always meaningful. Uh, so can you kind of put those into context? Sure. What, what is the process behind uh, the technology? A absolutely. So the core of the technology are deep machine learning algorithms, which is a branch of AI, and even a, a subset of machine learning. It's a special kind of flavor of machine learning that does a very good job on large pieces of data. And an image is actually a, a large amount of data in a, in a single image. And so we apply deep machine learning to a field called computer vision, which is, of course, the analysis of, of images. In our case, what we do is we have a very large data set that we've accrued over the years, now over a million images of wounds with the right answer. So that is the right answer in this case is the boundary of the wound um, automatic uh, drawn in, in the past. So we use that data set to train the algorithm to detect the boundaries of the wound. Um, detect the internal components of the wound because you know Brady. I'm sure. I'm sure you know. And you know, for the for the listeners, wounds have different tissue types within them that represent or can convey how the wound is actually healing. And then we also place this little reference marker on the side that is able. It serves as a, what's called a fiducial or a ground truth for the size and the angle and the color, so that we can get a very accurate representation of size and how that's changing over time. So that's the core of the system. We package that into a mobile application that has, you know, mobile devices all can capture images, very high quality images now, all of the yeah. modern devices, a little bit of other basic documentation. And we also built this web application along with it that allows clinicians to see how the wound is healing as from a trajectory view and showing the progress very clearly side by side. And then the last big step associated with all of it was embedding that within existing clinical workflows and tantamount to that is integrating our software with the large electronic medical record um, vendors out there. And so we have integrations of our product with Epic, Cerner, Allscripts, Meditech, and some of these, as some of the other vendors that folks have likely heard of. Sure. Um, and so can you kind of take me through the process of like, so clinicians using this uh, software, what does it look like if someone comes in, they're, you know, having Perfect. this yeah. chronic wound? What, yeah. So the, the most common end users of our product, because our main market is the inpatient side where, you know, bedside nurses or uh, skilled specialty woundostomy continence nurses are using, are, are doing the wound care or at least evaluating the wounds. So the main users of the mobile application are going to be those frontline users that are actually doing the wound care themselves. 
So they'll come in, that they'll have their mobile device with them. Most facilities now, if not all, have some sort of mobile device policy, whether it's distributed or a BYOD, bring your own device policy. The nurse will come into the room. They'll have either these, these reference markers with them or it works with a ruler as well. They'll, they'll, put, they'll put the reference next to the wound, take a picture, do a little bit of other basic documentation on the patient and submit that data. That data automatically integrates with the electronic record. So all of the discrete measurements that are generated. So the length, the width, we have, we allow for video capabilities so you can capture a depth. Um, the tissue composition uh, in, in terms of color composition, as well as all the other basic documentation that they do on the mobile device will flow into the medical record. So, and so then a, a physician might come in and look and see how their treatments are working for their patient or you know, uh, that's uh, on the inpatient side specifically, it allows you to very clearly track and monitor hospital-acquired pressure injuries slash hope to prevent those hospital-acquired pressure injuries. And so, again, a, a pressure injury is a specific type of wound that our products work, product works quite well for. Brady, I know you're probably quite familiar with them, but it basically happens when patients have bad perfusion to a certain area, so bad blood flow to a certain area. And if the patient is not turned frequently enough, and sometimes quite frankly, it's not super avoidable, um, they'll develop this, this pressure sore that can get infected and might lead to some very serious associated symptoms like exposed bone, and sometimes they can get septic and you know die. And so our software allows them to very accurately and with high integrity track uh, those conditions. And so um, where are, are you in, what would you say your your like I guess market share like where are you located? Um, are you pretty integrated into the market already? Um, where where are you in that process? Yep, we have on the order of hundreds of different facilities. Um, our our largest customers by end user quantity are hospitals. Gotcha. So at certain health systems, we'll have thousands of users um, because if you know you're thinking yeah. frontline nurses, I mean they have shift changes so. We have on the order of um, six six figure end users um, representing our different facilities. Gotcha. Again, main markets are inpatient and then outpatient as well. Um, so outpatient wound care is done in the outpatient space, where you know ambulatory side a patient comes in for their weekly or biweekly visits. The, the wounds that are kind of less severe or acute, um, typically on the hospital side, wound care is kind of a, an offshoot of all the other care that the patient mm -hmm. is getting. So those are our two main markets, hospital inpatient, as well as outpatient. We do have some post-acute uh, users. So on the, in the home care and, and sniff space, there's definitely some PTs that use the product for sure, whether it's through an outpatient clinic. I know some hospitals actually have their PTs that do wound care. They do both, you know, their OT, PT, and wound care. So they're kind of um, jacks of all trades in that regard. Um, so again, Honestly, the way that we like to look at it is anywhere that does wound care is, is a candidate for our product. And our goal um, is really to stop using rulers. <laughs> if, if it has to be through us um, or, you know, one of our competitors, either way, hopefully through us, we just want the clinical, uh, the clinical end users to stop having to use rulers to measure their wounds. Yeah, because I'm sure ultimately it's just like, look, this is way better outcomes for the patient. Because um, I, th I think... I saw a quote from you somewhere. I don't know. It was like some patients were, um, they were measuring yeah. better, but patients were telling, telling their physicians that they were making no improvement and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that was what we saw when we went to the clinic and we were trying to validate our, our clinical need of, you know, better documentation, better measurement, wound care. 
you literally would see it was it was like we couldn't have written a better anecdote right you literally see a patient pointing to their wound and saying hey this is definitely getting better or worse and the clinician would be saying the opposite no i trust me um if there's nothing objective you know then there's really no way to determine whether or not that that condition is improving and for these patients that have had them for months you know years that's a and especially when it's a compliant patient, they care a lot about that. I mean, and, and that's an, it's another way to, if they're not compliant, giving them some sort of objective metric to show that they are improving might actually improve their compliance. We've seen that. We see clinicians turning the computer around and showing the patient, look, look, this is how it is week to week. This is getting so much better. Or, this is getting worse. Stop doing X, Y, and Z. Little things like that um, make a huge difference for, for patients. Um, so you, you talked about objective measurements and right, this is what the, what it's about is, is creating that now when you had talked about kind of, um, your experience at Johns Hopkins, where they had this hypothesis where they could apply it to different segments and you ended up doing wound care. Does that mean that a lot of what you're doing in concept, um, with all of the tech and all of the code that goes into that could be easily or, so, uh, somewhat applied to other areas um, of medicine? Certainly, certainly. And so I, that's, a, that's a great segue. I mean, with tissue analytics itself, the soft, I, we're talking a lot about chronic wounds, but, but broadly the software is a way to detect uh, and measure and track abnormalities of the skin. So wounds are, the, are a very good use case for it where you can see, you want to see that progress over time. But there are other things like rashes or moles that, you know, they'll change in size, they'll change in color. You want to see how they're changing over time. So just the technology off the shelf right now can apply there. I think, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll get, we'll get into this Brady with, um, uh, with future questions, but after we, the tissue analytics, we were acquired by NetHealth, um, we, we started applying the same type of mathematical models and, and statistical models to do more broad predictions. And so not just imaging, but actually trying to predict how patients are going to heal the risk for amputation, risk for getting these other, any other conditions. So actually future facing risk, as opposed to just point of care um, descriptions. Uh, so the same type of math can be applied very, very broadly, um, which is what's really exciting. And, and we got kind of lucky that we started the company at a time when this type of math was, there was really a, a boom in it. Like if you, if you want to pick a year when um, deep machine learning and machine learning became somewhat commoditized, it was probably right around when we started the company. Okay. Before that, before that, the tools weren't nearly as compelling and the compute power uh, wasn't there. And so the, the boom and additional computing resources available with through the cloud and, and the, the mathematical advances in machine learning kind of converged right when we started the company. So a lot of luck on our part, I'd say, um, but I, I'm soaking it in now. <laughs> that's, that's right. The, the only thing I could think of when uh, you, you said you were acquired by NetHealth, just a, like a funny off note, have you ever seen the show Silicon Valley? Of course. When, uh, One of my favorites. When, they, when he creates the, the AI uh, software for, uh, is it a hot dog or not? And then they were using it, obviously, to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the hot dog algorithm. Yeah, yep. yeah, and then uh, they end up. Uh, he gets he gets the software purchased by a company to help detect inappropriate pictures online. So I, I thought yeah. it was a, uh, <laughs> kind of funny, but so I, I mean, talking about like Silicon Valley and bringing kind of this product to life, uh, you have a list of um, 
you know, people who uh, invested in your company. Um, did you, were you part of that or were you largely on the tech end or were you highly involved in um, bringing, you know, a software and application to market is not an easy task by any means. Um, yeah. So no could, could you kind of like even give a broad overview of what it would be like if someone were to develop any kind of application or software, um, how that process went? Yeah, absolutely. And so I definitely have to give credit where it's due. My, my co-founder, Kevin, was we, we were both biomedical engineers. We have very similar backgrounds. He was more on the uh, instrumentation side. So he, he did a lot of electrical engineering courses, but similar computing background. I mean, the, the, there was a very, very tiny difference in um, our, our kind of scopes of practice of the field. We, were, you know, we had five years of biomedical engineering under our belts. We took maybe a few different courses. Um, we kind of just decided almost randomly who wanted to take more of the business uh, duties versus who wanted to take more of the technical duties. And so it was like, it was near the beginning that we decided that he was doing by far more of the actual fundraising, communications with investors, management of our, of our board. Once we, once we had a, a, an established board and, and raised our series A, I was very much focused on the, working with the product and engineering team to develop the product, bring it to market, like you said, integrate with the EMRs, integrate our AI technology uh, accurately and with robustness, and, and, and then ultimately implement the software once the product was ready. So we, we actually had a team of implementation engineers as well. So that was more of my scope, whereas Kevin was doing a lot more on the sales side and, and managing the, the fundraising components. Uh, to, to, to your question, the, in terms of the process, just to trace it back to near the beginning when we decided to start the company, the very first thing we did after graduating from our master's degree was we entered Accelerator, which uh, Tech Accelerator is, I think, a fairly popular term now, but basically it's, uh, it's early companies typically do it where they get some funding from a group that also provides them with mentorship, maybe some access to cloud computing resources and shared office space. And you work over a 10, 12, 14 week period to develop a product, try to get contacts and, and try to get uh, initial sales, try to do initial product development, whatever, wherever you need help. We did an accelerator called the Dream It Health Accelerator, which was in Philadelphia. So we spent four months there. I think that was a great decision by us that uh, we obviously paid for it in equity as well as um, some, some, other, some other things. But it paid off completely. We got some great connections to some of our initial very important clients and also to investors. Um, and then after that program, a few months later, we were fortunate through, I think it was a blurb that they read on AngelList to get investment from a company called Tencent, okay. which is Chinese, which is a company. Right? Yes, yeah. correct. They, they develop a lot of products in China like WeChat, QQ Messenger, they have about you know 1.5 billion daily active users. So um, one of the biggest tech companies in the world, I think, yes. and definitely the biggest in China. So they had a US venture arm. They provided us with investment. That was one of the turning points, I think, for us because we got a run, runway to actually start investing in product development. Gotcha. Um, and then just you know, for listeners, the Penn Medicine, Rothsburg Ventures, uh, Intermountain Healthcare, 
uh, Molnick and Digitex uh, partners um, are the ones listed on your website. Um, yep. So, um, I mean, that's, to me, it sounds stressful. I think uh, to maybe yeah. a lot of <laughs> healthcare people, it might sound stressful, especially the ones that are in direct patient care, uh, not always their cup of tea, but um, it sounds like um, it was, it's probably exciting the whole way through, I have to imagine, um, kind of high stakes, high reward kind of uh, space to be in. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think um, I think you can shift either way based on where, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. I tend to be, I, I think both Kevin and I tend to be a little more on the pessimistic side. And so I think um, the highs for us were like, and okay, good, we can move forward. Whereas the lows for us were like, oh gosh, the sky is falling. Um, <laughs> Uh, it got super stressful near the end, but again, uh, I would say paid off. And I think, you know, looking back now, five years from now, 10 years from now, um, it, the experience without a doubt was invaluable. And the number of different things you have to learn how to do um, set you up well. So uh, if, if folks are interested in it, I do recommend it as long as you can stomach the stress. Sure. So speaking of like those highs and lows, um, you know, was there ever uh, pushback or skepticism about your pro- product or if not the product, like the ability to bring it to market? I think there, so I will say right off the bat, there has always been, and I think will continue to always be pushback on our product. Um, I, I think that's basically indefinite. I mean, um, I kind of look at it as like, you know, you look at the bell curve, you have your early adopters at the front end of the bell curve, the late adopters at the the right of the bell curve. And then in the middle, you have, you know, the average population. I think right now we're uh, of of hospitals or or in terms of early movers. I think right now we're probably at the middle, maybe slightly right of middle of the bell curve. Um, I think everyone right of that is still doubting the efficacy or utility of the software. Um, and so just because of a skepticism of machine learning and AI and the fact that it's not like a physical ruler measuring a wound. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the end user skepticism where it's the end user will say, well, those on the right of the bell curve will say, well, I've been measuring wounds for 30 years. I'm fine. These studies are, are wrong. I know how to measure better than your software, which of course I don't, I respectfully disagree. I have to, if I didn't disagree, I wouldn't have developed the product, but we have to do our best to convince those folks. Um, and there's also the more executive level uh, skepticism that says, well, how does measuring wounds better actually impact our care? Sure. So how does better wound documentation actually impact our care? And so it's up to us to develop ROI return on investment models that show that we are actually uh, with other similar clients or other similar users, we're able to deliver the, the value that we're purporting to deliver. And so um, I think there are some products, if you look at the simplest one, like the Google search, I think it probably had or a Google search. Like yeah. it, I think it probably has the fewest amount of skeptics of any software product, sure. but all other software products, I think still have that mountain to climb. And I think ours being fairly new and clinicians are, are can be can be very dogged about their views of their own practice. And that's fine. I mean, I think as patients, maybe we want that, but it's up to us to convince them that our product is actually serving the need that it claims to serve and providing value that it claims to provide. And on that high 
that that high level of thinking, that executive level of thinking in terms of uh, patient outcomes, like what what are you saying to most hospitals, companies, et cetera? Yeah, so great question. And so it's the, the main value we deliver on the inpatient side that is, in my opinion, a no-brainer is we've shown at multiple facilities that the use of our product had a statistically significant linkage to decrease in never events, a never event meaning a hospital acquired pressure injury. Um, and there are different stages of those pressure injuries. And so the higher stages, if those are acquired while the patient is at the hospital and the hospital can't prove otherwise, the hospital actually has to pay for the care of, of those ulcers, of those, of those wounds. And so one of those can cost on average around six figures per year. So our software has been shown to reduce those significantly at a single health system, oh, equating to almost over a million dollars in value, uh, well over a million dollars in some cases in value based on the size of the health system. So on the inpatient side, that's fairly a no brainer. On the outpatient side, where it's less related to acquiring pressure injuries and more related to a fee for service model, of course, I think similar to, I know that Brady, you do, I think more outpatient physical therapy, yeah, which is yeah. more of a fee for service delivery model. Yes. The main thing we try to sell is efficiency. That's, you know, as a fee-for-service model, I mean, we want to spend more time with our patients, absolutely. Um, but if we can spend less time overall on average per patient while spending the same amount of dedicated time face-to-face -face with our patient, that that is valuable. Yes. And so that's what we try to sell in terms of being able to automate the wound assessment uh, with our with our technology, having a mobile component we've, we've shown uh, does equate to time savings. And then of course, improved accuracy. Um, there's benefit to the patient. And I think uh, every clinician, of course, wants to get through their workflow quickly. And that's one of the single most important factors, but improving clinical care is is right alongside with it. I mean, that's uh, patient uh, providers care about their patient outcomes. And so we, 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 we advertise, and, and I, I believe that this is the case, that use of our software and better outcomes reporting uh, is linked to better treatment and, and better patient outcomes. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't need a bunch of convincing. I'm not obviously no tier PT, but um, just in terms of like our, our model, not that we see a lot of wound care, but, you know, I, we see patient for 45 minutes. Um, just in terms of evaluation, the quicker the, the therapist can get through evaluation, the more time they can spend hands-on, doing soft tissue work, doing different modalities, doing different exercises, um, using that time more wisely, like is, it's a no-brainer benefit to the, to the patient. So, yep. Yep. um, absolutely. Yeah. So, and then, so just what is, what's next for you? What's next for the company? You guys were just acquired by NetHealth. Um, is that allowing you to, uh, grow tissue analytics more, or is there kind of a next project or just yep. what's the future hold? The, the company was definitely very interested in the product, uh, the, the actual core components of the product, specifically the AI and imaging components, as well as the EMR integration uh, is something that the company wants, wanted and continues to nurture. The team is growing. The company is committed to making the team grow. So that's great. I've actually kind of taken more of a pure R&D analytics role. And so my day-to-day, -day, my title now is VP of analytics. Um, our, our goal is to basically turn NetHealth into an analytics first 
company and an analytics powered suite of electronic documentation software. So the company currently sells a suite of specialty documentation software that spans, of course, wound care with their product, uh, NetHealth Wound Care. There's a therapy uh, presence, you know, similar, similar specifically, which you, you might be familiar with. It, what used to be called Redoc. Um, the name is changing to NetHealth Therapy, and that serves both the acute and outpatient markets. Uh, there's home health, skilled nursing, and hospice presences as well in terms of specialty doc and billing for specialty documentation. So my team's goal, and I think my personal goal, is to help turn the company into an analytics-first company across all of those product lines. So instead of just passively allowing providers and clinicians to document in the software, actively suggest or, or, or alarm providers when there is a risk of something bad happening or, or there's, there's the possibility of something good happening. Um, so like I, I mentioned earlier, some of the tools that we already have in beta right now on the wound care side uh, that you know, my team was, was very involved in was uh, models that can predict whether a wound is going to heal. So using, using good data to actually in real time show a provider the likelihood of a wound healing within four, eight, 12 and 16 weeks, as well as predicting the risk of amputation. So based on about 200 clinical factors, including patient histories, uh, wound, care, wound care specific data, how likely is that patient to actually get an amputation, which is of course a very expensive procedure and, and more importantly, terrible for the patient's quality of life. Yes. So um, those are just a preview of the multitude of tools we wish to develop using deep machine learning, statistical methods and analytics. And so it's a super interesting space, I think, like you mentioned, and we wanna lead the way in that, um, transforming the company there. Perfect. And so is, you know, just to kind of wrap things up uh, from a, I guess, a consumer slash end user slash uh, provider, like if you're, if you're looking for more information about you or the company, um, I guess, plug, plug the company and then anything else that's going on that, that you've got going on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, nethealth.com, you can see all about NetHealth, their current products, um, the, the analytics tools are, are advertised. So we on there, so we have, you know, tissue analytics is an analytics tool. We have a couple other pure analytics companies that were acquired either before or after tissue analytics. So there's a company called photo that uh, optimizes, uh, optimizes outcomes, documentation in the therapy space. Um, and there's a company called point, right. That does a very specific analytics in the skilled nursing space. So all of that has been brought under the NetHealth umbrella, which shows the commitment of NetHealth to analytics. And I would say as my last plug um, to anyone listening, look out for any future announcements of NetHealth embedding uh, analytical models and, and showing the ROI of those models uh, in, our, in our products. It's, uh, I, I do truly believe, and it's my goal, to make us a company that's on the forefront of this in the healthcare space. Uh, I think we have the nimbleness to do it. We're the right size organization to do it. So. I'll end there. Um, let me know if you have any other questions, Brady, but it was a pleasure. Yeah, it was. Uh, thanks for coming on. It was a really fun conversation to have. And um, uh, yeah, I hope you have a wonderful day.
This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, providing one-on-one comprehensive physical and occupational therapy services, including women's health, chronic pain treatment, TMJ, and more. With four locations in Fox Point, Grafton, Brookfield, and McGuanago, Wisconsin, more information at freedompt.com.